because this uh, might be the, the inner chronicle of what we are and we have to articulate ourselves, otherwise we would be cows in the field. Welcome to Cows in the Field. This is a podcast where we talk about philosophical themes in popular films. My name is Justin. I'm Laura. And today we're going to drop acid with some suburban punks and think about plates of shrimp. That's right, we're talking about Repo Man. And joining us is a friend from graduate school, now a lecturer in the Italian Studies Department at Berkeley. Welcome, Toby Levers. Thank you. Hello, Laura and Justin. Great to see you. Thank you for being here, Toby. And it's good to see you as well. So you had suggested this movie, Repo Man. And before we get into it, because neither of us had seen it, I suspect there'll be Mm. some... Sorry, you had seen seen it. it. Sorry, you had seen it. My bad. In high school. I barely remember Laura had seen it. it. Justin had not seen it. (laughs) But there might be some people out there who haven't seen it. And... We want to give the listeners a chance to see whether, do I want to watch this movie? I don't know. Let's see. So, Toby, give us a five-second pitch for Repo Man. I mean, you definitely want to watch the movie, first of all. Um, it's, uh, above all, a comedy. It's hilarious if you're an intelligent human being. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's so much going on. I mean, uh, we can talk about later overlapping genres, um, comedy, action, social commentary. It's a punk, punk rock uh, movie. Um, other sci-fi, so uh, a tremendous amount going on. Wonderful cast, wonderful soundtrack. Um, what can you say? It's just amazing. It's amazing. Take it from Toby, guys. Go check it out. Here's my pitch. It's a punk rock satire and a satire of punk rock. Lord, yeah. Your pitch. <laughs> um, yes, I I don't know much about punk rock, so I can't speak to that. But I the thing that I connected with for me with this movie is like, have you ever had a job? Maybe it's a short term job. Maybe it's a summer job where you find yourself just hanging out a lot with some people you would never hang out with <laughs> and yeah. getting like totally in their world and just like being another person for a minute. That's that's what I thought about, just like a, a weird summer job. <laughs> that's a great pitch. Actually, now that you said that, I, I'm surprised I didn't make that connection before. I have some... I have some. I'll have to think about some of the summer job stories that I've had because I've had. Right? I had some weird, especially when jobs. you're holding out. Well, if you're like younger and like Otto, and you're hanging out with some older people, yeah, older people, yeah, and they've been mm-hmm. doing this job for a long time, and it's yeah. totally their worldview, and yeah. you're like, I'm just passing through. <laughs> yeah, and, they, and at first, they seem really legit and put together. Yeah, and then yeah. Things just start to go south, and they're you know snorting crank and doing what. <laughs> Like on day two. So. On day two, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> let me let's let me just t- say a little bit about the movie now. Um, again, we're we're not yet in the spoiler section, so just this will still be a, a you know a preview of what of the movie. But Otto, played by Emilio Estevez, he's sort of a wayward youth. He's a punk rocker. He works in a shitty supermarket and he hates his job and he quits almost in the first scene. He ends up caught up in the world of Bud, who's played by Harry Dean Stanton 
who's a repo man. So he, he repossesses people's cars. He works for the, I guess, the credit company or the car company, whoever the lot, the dealer who sold it's the called car. the Helping Hands Acceptance Corporation. Okay, yeah, <laughs> that's the name. That's the name. Of, is that the name of their repo company, or is that the name Helping Hands Acceptance okay. Corporation? Yes. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And uh, so yeah, and he goes and repossesses cars, and he brings Otto into the mix, and then Otto pretty soon Otto gets caught up in this strange world of repo men. That's basic. I mean, and then that's the main plot. And then there's also aliens. There's a lot of subplots happening. There, you know, the movie <laughs> opens with a maybe alien in the trunk of a car that's vaporizing people. And there's a group of shady government employees who are out trying to find this car. Or there's, just cover the tracks. Or cover it up. <laughs> there's, a, there's a cult. What was the name of the cult, Toby? Oh. The, the diuretics? The no, di- there's the diuretics. The diuretics. No, like I think it's the Unified Fruitcake Organization. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> that's UFO. Well, they're, UFO. I think they're just UFO, like, like they might be a cult, or they're just like, um, I like UFO kind of... Uh, they're like conspiracy theorists. But I like that they right, have their own museum. They have yeah. a museum. <laughs> so it's just like a, it's pop. The world is populated with strange, wonderful, and colorful figures. Sandinistas, like, you know, Central American revolutionaries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, all kinds of stuff. So that's the pitch. So go check out Rebo Man if you haven't seen it. Now, if you have seen it, we're going to talk about it right here and right now. Toby, when did you first see this film? And sort of was it love at first sight or did it grow on you? How, how do you feel about the film now versus then? It was late, so it's been pretty recent, um, like the last few years, pre-COVID, but um, early when I was dating my now wife, um, and she knew me pretty well by then already, very good, very socially intelligent, and said, you're, you're really going to love this movie. She loves this movie. Um, she had watched it on TV, as, we, as I can mention later. There's a TV version that's a lot of people sort of uh, uh, grew up watching, but she said, you know, we've got to watch this movie. So we put it on and I was just hooked immediately. I mean, the first scene with, um, as, as I might've mentioned, Kevin um, singing the seven up jingle it, <laughs> and, and the sort of like the generic labels you can already see in that first scene in yes. the supermarket. And it just, the kind of vibe um, I was immediately into it and it just got better and better. I mean, Harry Dean Stanton showed up and they, you know, started riding around and I was like, how have I not seen this movie at all? I mean, it really is like, I, I would have been, who knows what my life, what the course of my life would have been if I'd seen this movie. It's just like my movie. <laughs> it feels like it now because there are other movies that, that are kind of like, kind of like it maybe that I was really into as a kid. Um, but so no, it's, it's pretty recent. Um, and I loved it immediately. And I, I watched it again. I watched it a few times sort of building up to this. And maybe once I was like, Hmm, that, it's a little slow in the middle. Cause it's got a kind of zany sequence that is maybe a little weak. But then I watched it again. I'm like, well, there's things in that sequence that are good. So I've, I've, you know, I like it even more is what I'm saying. That I, is, I continue to like it. That That's the, exactly the best. I mean, I, I, that's the feeling I've had with so many films. And, and I hope that will continue to be the feel, feeling for me with this film. Because we saw it for the first time two nights ago. We loved it. I mean, at least I loved it. I loved Sorry, it. Sorry, Laura had seen it before. I keep saying we together. No, but it, and in fact, I hadn't. I mean, I think I had uh, this unfortunate habit in high school of like trying to just like voraciously watch as much as I could, especially stuff that my dad sort of quoted as like, that's a good movie. That's a cool movie. Before I was ready for it and like... It didn't. I need to go back to all of it because I. It's like it's as if I didn't see those movies. Wait, so your dad recommended this? Yeah, movie? <laughs> really? I know it's surprising, isn't it? Yeah, huh. 
All right. Um, but <laughs> yeah, and I, I just, yeah, I didn't know what to make of it when I was 15. Um, so I remember the vaporizing pretty clearly. I remember that like this, every time that somebody turns into a skeleton and then disappears, I remember that. But other than that, it had not been burned into I mean, my brain. One of the great successes of the film, and it, this is, must have been, you know, from what you're saying, Toby, this is one of the things that seemed to have resonated with you, is the it's so tonally on point. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's its own thing and it hues to that tone the whole time. It's, it never deviates. It's never unsure of itself in the tone that it has chosen. Oh yeah. I think and it some... aged, it aged so well. I mean, yeah. the tone yeah. really like it works so well for me, at least like today. I mean, it's, it's like really funny, like adult sort of comedy. So if I'd seen it when I was 15, I probably would have like enjoyed it, but maybe not really appreciated it. Um, I think it's, yeah, I think that's totally right. I think that also um, one of the reasons I think that tone has aged well is that I think, and I don't want to, you know, talk out of turn here, but I, I suspect this film has been quite influential. So I read somewhere that there had been some speculation as to whether this film was actually an influence on Pulp Fiction. Because uh, of the lot, there's a of lot the, of talking and cars and just having these kind of mundane conversations. Well, also, and, do you feel like the trunk moment is sort of like the briefcase moment? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the, the trunk, oh, I can the, tell you about that. That's from another movie that influenced them both. Ah. Fox actually says that. Um, it's a classic film noir, Kiss Me Deadly. Okay. Which is very good, very interesting. Um, that's kind of like a classic LA film. Um, and worth watching, but there, that's where there's like a, and it is a nuke. It's actually a nuclear thing. And they open it and your, you know, your hand is immediately burned. And then there's this culminating scene where there's, I won't spoil it, but uh, um, bad stuff happens when they open it all the way. So there's like, and they actually mentioned Pandora's box in that movie. So it's kind of like, there's that theme going on. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. But you're totally right too. the sort of wandering around LA. The wandering around but the, to the tonal thing too. The other aspect of it is it really has that same kind of skewed feeling that early Wes Anderson too. I mean, that's the other yeah. thing I was thinking about as well is just this and, and, you know, Jared Hess as well and so on, but just this, like you're in a world that's not, it's like kind of, you know, the real world, but also sort of not, not just because of yeah. the alien thing potentially, but just because of, Everyone is so interact. strange. Yeah. Everything is so yeah. heightened. And, <laughs> and everyone is just like turned up a little bit higher than they would normally be. I, I just think, yeah, there's something. The characters are just are characters. Like there's in the sense of, yeah, when you think that guy's a character. Um, but yeah, I and that tone, it's just, it's great. Like once you lock in, right, from the first scene, which is I think it's the guy gets pulled over, right? And then the, and you know, and you really, and then the guy's vaporized. Once you, you're just like, okay, this is going to be a zany film. And if you could just walk <laughs> into that, you're, I think you're good to go. It's got that weirdness. It's like the, the, the characters are great. I mean, it's really, I mean, this big strength is certainly that it's like quite character driven. I mean, it's all got so much going on plot wise, but every character has got a little sort of arc and sort of things they're after and like uh, problems and this and that, um, even minor characters. So that really is strong. And the writing, um, there's just all these little non sequiturs or yeah. not non sequiturs, but like things that are just like kind of off yeah. that reminds yeah. me of like, um, like Antonioni almost just like something that's like, why, you know, what, what is that about? And they move on. But for me, that kind of is part of what creates the tone. It rounds out it's the really, world. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that you mentioned, and, and I'm, I want to hear more about this is, is just the connection at basically this film is a, a nexus point of like five different genres. So I think you had mentioned punk, comedy, action, 
satire, sci-fi, like all these different things coming together. And I'm curious, like, this, is that playing a role in like it's because it's totally its own thing, but it's also this weird mishmash of all these genres. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what to say about that except that it, it works so well. I mean, for me, it just it, it seems quite effortless. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I watched like the commentary on the Criterion edition, and you get a little bit of insight mm-hmm. on that because the production process was really messy. I mean, they really. Um, had a totally Alex Cox had like a different script. Um, it was going to be like a road movie. It was actually partially based on a script written by the guy who plays Duke, the 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 bald guy, the friend who you know um, eventually dies. He the actor was going to be Otto originally, and he actually wrote like a kind of skeleton script that that was kind of partially used for it. So they they changed it a lot. I mean, they had lots of problems with the studio. Um, different producers and all, all kinds of things. The ending changed a few times. So it was very fluid, but I think it's really a testament to the director, Alex Cox and uh, the producers that they sort of stuck to it. And um, I think that fluidity is probably why all the genres managed to work together because they had, I mean, all this stuff going on, but uh, I don't know. I mean, um, I just, like I say, I think it works. And beyond that, I don't know what to say. Yeah, the thing that, that he, I'll give an example of something where it's of all these genres that doesn't work for me. And mm-hmm. I maybe have talked about this on before on this podcast, but I just, you know, it's a, it's a bugbear of mine. But um, the film, or sorry, not the film, the show, was it called Maniac? Yeah. On Netflix, which this, that was back when I used to watch TV shows. And <laughs> it's a large regret of my life that I've spent time watching this TV show on Netflix. But that's a TV show which tries to basically shoehorn in every possible genre element that it can. And basically to the point where like episode to episode, it would be a completely different genres and completely different, um, you know, settings and that kind of thing. And it just doesn't work at all. There's no continuity. There's nothing. It just feels cheap. And it feels like an attempt to pitch itself to everyone and it, as a result it pitches it gets nobody whereas this film doesn't feel like it feels like it comes from a place of genuine love and creativity like it's like alex cox is like i've seen all these types of movies i'm not trying to be any one of them i'm just kind of doing my own thing which happens to involve all these different genre elements but it's like his own thing ultimately and i think that's partly why it works for me is that it it feels genuine it feels just like yeah this is what he thinks is funny like i could imagine alex cox in the screening room editing it laughing at his own jokes like it just Mm -hmm. feels like that it feels like the kind of movie you put on with friends and you all laugh at the same parts because those are this you know those parts they're funny and you know that's what makes the movie so quotable is it's it creates these little quotable things that you can throw back and forth to your buddies. And I feel like that's the strength of the film. Hey, you want some help with that beer, kid? You're all repo, man. What if we are? Kid, uh, usually when somebody pulls shit like that, my first reaction is, uh, I want to punch his fucking lights out. But you know something? You're all right! <laughs> right light! 
he had done a, a like a student film at UCLA that he worked on for like years and years. And it was like a total train wreck, apparently. Like it, he was really trying to put everything in, in you know, the same pot and um, it turned out to be really bad. And he like cut it down to like a half hour instead of feature length or something. And that kind of made it better, but it's just deliberately confusing and, you know, very kind of surreal, um, which I haven't seen. Um, I think it's called Edge City which there's a bus actually in Repo Man that says Edge City uh, bus. But, um, and the stuff he did after was, um, you know, he did um, Sid and Nancy and Walker. So he, and he did a bunch of like sort of experimental like student films. But um, yeah, it, uh, I think it's a, a combination of what you're saying, like, like him and his devotion to it. And he kind of like hooked up with the right people, I think, the, the producers and... Um, they had all these, like, a, the, they had good executives in the uh, studio at first, and then they kind of left from some corporate restructuring, and that caused a lot of difficulties, but they sort of persevered. Um, so, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's uh, the strength of his vision and other people's visions kind of being spliced with it. Like I say, the guy, uh, Duke, had a script, and that was part of it. And also that thing about the characters, I, I really think that... Um, if it hadn't been so um, loving towards the characters, I mean, yeah. they're really, yeah. they're, they're all kind of like comic, but like sympathetic. And, and indeed the like attitude towards punk is, is not, you know, uh, a serious, nor is it like a caricature or like, um, you know, they're villains or anything. It's very like um, affectionate towards punk, but also like very kind of uh, um funny yeah it's funny it also uh, yeah i will come back to the punk thing but it, it is it, you're right it's it's affectionate but also but without being like fawning you know how that's yeah, that's no, the no, thing no. is it's like it's not treating this stuff like it's precious that it has to be like maintained in some pristine way it's just sort of it's poking fun of it fun at it just in as it's engaged with it and like in yeah, admiring it um i think that's part of it but the other thing you said Toby, that I think is exactly right, is like he got the right collaborators. Yeah. I mean, Harry Dean Stanton, Tracy Walter. I mean, d these, I mean, Emilio too, but I really think Harry Dean and Tracy Walter are like the standouts yeah. in, in from just from the cast. And those guys are incredible. Yeah. They're amazing actors, but like, even if they didn't say anything, they just have a look to them. These dudes look like totally. they've totally. been around. And then you've <laughs> yeah. got Tracy Walter just being that guy's a fucking weird actor, man. He's oh, so always great. so strange. I always forget. I'm like, wait, who is that guy? Oh, he's Bob. I always know him as Bob in uh, Batman in the in the in the in the Keaton Batman, right? Right, right, totally. Yeah, yeah that's Bob. how I'm. That's how I'm like. Oh, you're, yeah. you're my best guy. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> remember, you're my best guy uh, thank you sir sorry <laughs> thank you sir. Yeah. i love him in that yeah he's and i, totally but I actually think that. he's even better in this but uh, you know and then and the other one is is robbie mueller the vim vendor cinematographer like that's a crazy pull like to get that to get someone who basically shoots like art house indie films to come and like he's jarmusch's cinematographer too like I just thought that was, I don't know, it's pretty incredible. It's a great pull to get those people. Oh, apparently um, Alex Cox, they were sort of like trying to figure out who would be the cinematographer and they were like throwing around names and having trouble. And somebody asked him like, who, if you could just pick the one person that you would be the best. And he said, Robbie Mueller. And he was available and they were totally shocked. And they had all these like conflicts, uh, little conflicts with him and big conflicts with Harry Dean Stanton. He was very like um, uh, maniacal on set. But they really eventually took just followed Robbie Mueller's lead and went with the sort of 
master shots and the panning and stuff, even though they kind of fought him. And later they're like, oh, thank God he, uh, you know, pushed us on that. So, yeah. I heard, too, that it was because of this movie that Mueller recommended Harry Dean Stanton to Vim Vendors for Paris, Texas. That's Mm. what I had heard. Which is which is wild. <laughs> that's because that's like that's yeah, uh, such an iconic pairing. Um, yeah. But anyway, okay. But let's get into punk. I mean, because this movie is a punk rock movie. So I want to think about like what punk is, the punk ethos, but one of the aspects of it is like the DIY aesthetic, right? Punk is about doing it yourself. Like you shave your head and you pierce your own ears. At, yeah. Hi. And you, you know, and you make music without being trained, right? It's just like about doing, you know, and you make your own clothes. Um, so that's, I think, a big aspect of it in this film, you know, by feeling like it's just being thrown together in, you know, it doesn't have the best, it's not like the best looking film. It, it really just feels like it's being held together with duct tape. And, yeah. and I feel like that's a big aspect of it. Um, but the other thing that I think is so cool is that like they use the term suburban punk in the film. And I think like that's another component of this. And and I, you know, I was brushing up on my, like very briefly, brushing up on the history of punk for this because I was like, what? What oh were God. the different Please waves? Please edify me because I have no, I don't well, know. Well, Toby will probably know more than me. I, I'm, I'm, I wasn't, I got into <laughs> punk very late in the game because mm-hmm. I was started listening to music in like the 90s, basically. So yeah, the you punk were that, born when this movie came out. So yeah, so the punk <laughs> that I knew was the the kind of basically was pop punk, but was pop punk like the first album that I had was Green Day, um, Dookie, and so so this this was you know I this was all before my time, but you know I. I Later in life, got, went back and and you know got into bits and pieces of punk, but yeah, the, this what I was learning was like the hardcore scene in L.A. was kind of in you know coming about around the time of this movie, and that was the scene yeah. that we're seeing in this film is hardcore yeah. punk, which is like bands like uh, Black Flag and Circle Jerks and Circle who, Circle Jerks who are in the film, and I think Black Flag has a song on the on the soundtrack, and um that was. That was a punk that grew out of the suburbs, like out of the LA suburbs. So there is this sort of like suburban, usually white, not always, but usually white, you know, middle class boys, usually, uh, who are rebelling, right? Against what? They're rebelling against being middle class, basically, (laughs) right? Being like having your creature comforts met and not striving for much more, right? And just being like, the world has given us what we 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 agreed to do this social compact and it worked out for us right like we sacrificed our whatever uh you know ideals and now we're we live in a in a suburban house and we have kids and it's great and the punk ethos is like fuck that shit <laughs> and you know but i i just think that's really cool i feel like this movie captures that right in the frustration of the character otto who's like he's working this kind of dead end job and with a bunch of people he hates, like at the, the grocery store, at the mean? grocery store, yes. not not before not Repo before Man. Repo Man, yeah, 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 right. And and his arc is to like find this kind of other path through the Repo Man thing to to where we don't know. And I think that is like the that's where punk was in the eighties. It feels like that was it. It was like you rebel against the thing you were given, and you go off and do this kind of rebellious bandit thing. And where is it going? Who knows? 
Yeah. And it just ends open-ended. Anyway, I, I really love that. But, but to- Toby, how how are you... I don't know. What Does any of that resonate with you? I'm curious what you think. Definitely, but I, I don't think I know more, probably less than you about punk. I mean, I've had... Um, a few like friends who are into it and I sort of tangentially, but I'm, I have totally different like musical tastes. So I guess um, kind of growing up in California, there's maybe that, but um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, um, I don't know that it resonated with me uh, personally. I mean, it it made sense. Like I, I sort of have been around punk, but um, I don't know. I mean, the suburban thing, they show that with the, you know, scenes with his parents or the one scene with his parents or cut scenes as well. So I, I think that's kind of the history of it is that you have these like potentially ex hippies that are, um, as you say, they've kind of gotten their suburban whole home and sold out their ideals to the extent that they're now like giving all their money to like a mega church or whatever, <laughs> um, which is it's just so great. Um, it's like the, as the counterpoint to the diuretics is the mega church. And um, I mean, uh, I, I think, I mean, what you're talking about, maybe you can see it in Otto's like reaction to things like his reaction to his parents is not, he's super angry at them and he cusses yeah. them out or anything. He's just like, oh, well, God damn it. You know, okay. Yeah. What am I going to do now? Um, which is interesting because he, he sort of really relies on himself and he relies on himself to like interrogate different people and find out like what Avenue he can take. Like he talks to, he talks to Kevin a little bit. Who's who would disagree. He says, it's not a dead end job. Yeah. Working the store. He's like, there's upward mobility. <laughs> Kevin is like the careerist. There's, I think. Yeah, there's room um, to move when you're a fry cook. Yeah, yeah, you can, you can become God eventually. Um, and he and there's the one scene when they go and beat up the the teacher, and Kevin's actually in the background in the house. So there's like implication of like you know some like sexual favor or something. So Kevin is really like just you know go with um, yeah uh, careerist. Yep, uh, guy. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I think like you're totally right that this movie is poking fun at the suburban punks because they are, do come from a place of privilege. But I also, but it also has so much empathy and like love for uh, their perspective. Totally. Like, when you, you only need two minutes of working in a supermarket to be like, yeah, that fucking sucks. Totally. Like, I wouldn't want to <laughs> do that either. And I think that was like the, his, the model that like to be, to have a house, like you start as a paper boy or you start, so you part as a, start as a bagger and then you become like a manager of the supermarket. And it's supposed to be like, you work at the same place for 50 years and get a gold watch at the end. And like, that's supposed <laughs> to be the path. And like, is it worth it? Like, to, to, you know, all the, the years of abuse you have to put up with all, to get to wherever that is, that's whatever right. supposed to be is the pinnacle. Uh, yeah. There's like, there's so much, there's so much empathy for where for where Otto's coming from even though like he's definitely coming from a place of privilege no i totally yeah we'll we'll get to where i think it satirizes the punks but i think part of it is just that again i think it's an eye level critique right like absolutely you look at him and you're like man what has he got to fight against right from from a certain perspective but of course from another perspective it's like well his parents are zoned out mindless conformists right they who've it's literally sacrificed the very thing because I think you're right, uh, Toby, when, when you mentioned that they're hippies, ex-hippies, I think that's exactly right. Because the clothes they're wearing are fucking hippie clothes in that scene. Yeah, totally. yeah and they're, they're smoking we- a joint, right? And they're smoking a joint. Like, yeah. they're, they're, they've basically just, they probably were at Woodstock and they were like, you know, fuck Vietnam, Vietnam's ended. And now they're just like, what do we do? I guess we just get jobs and like mm-hmm. have kids. And, you know, and, and that, but, but they're also, 
hippies, right? So, of course, they're like going to get involved in some religious cult thing, you know, and send all their money to <laughs> El Salvador. They're still idealists in some sense, but now it's like they they can't like do it in the way they're, you know, they can't enact that kind of movement level change that you could have done, that they were doing in the 60s. So, instead, they give all their money to El Salvador. Your father gave all our extra money to the Reverend's telethon, Otto. We're sending Bibles to El Salvador. Well, what about me? You're on the honor roll of the chariots of fire. Same as us, Otto. It was a gift from all of us, jointly. Yeah, and I, like, didn't, I didn't catch that joke the first time. Really? No. Oh, man, that's fundraising joke for you. It's a good joke. Yeah. <laughs> the honor, donor role is very important yeah. aspect of fundraising. Yeah. Some yeah, 101 like, for you. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. I'm I didn't catch the moon that. named after you or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's just I, I love that aspect of it. But the other component of the punk thing. So he's not just rebelling, right? He's not just rebelling against working in a supermarket and being a mindless conformist. He's also, what is he, cho- he's, he's like the path that opens up for him is that of a repo man, right? Of a guy who goes and repossesses people's cars who haven't paid their bills. And the first thing when he, when they're said, we're repo men, right? When he, when he's in the business and, and he's like, we're repo men, he pours the beer out, yeah. right? That yeah. they gave him. Cause he's like, fuck you, you guys work for the man, right? Like you are taking stuff away from people who are, you know, giving a middle finger to the system. And but he comes around. And I think what's interesting about this is that's where the satire is, is that the contradiction, I think, inherent in this sort of suburban punkness is also inherent in the repo man. Yeah. Right. So the the repo man, the job of the repo man is you're working for the man. You're the like the lackey of the of the police officer, effectively. But you're also an outlaw, right? You're like a bandit bounty hunter who's working at the fringes and you can work your own hours. You don't have any boss, right? You work on commission, right? So there's no bosses. You're not salaried. And you kind of work random hours. You do drugs. You have you get involved in gunfights. <laughs> and you're, you know, and then and there's something punk rock about that, about like just doing it yourself and, and not having a boss and anything like that. So I think like there is this sort of strange contradiction and maybe even reconciliation between the two dimensions here of the of his like rebellion against the man but also working for the man and maybe this is the way you could bring the two together and, and like live a i don't know contented life but the other aspect of this that i think is so interesting is that he has no parental figures right like no role models in his parents but mm-hmm. in the repo men he has a bunch of potential role models i mean yeah, for sure he's trying Bud, them all out he's yeah. trying them all out at different yeah. points and there are all these and you know if anything tracy walter's character miller is yeah. he's like he's like a hippie who never gave up his hippie i like he lives still he's basically still a hippie he's still living yeah. on the fringes of society and he, and he just has his own crazy views and um he, he has the freedom and flexibility to do whatever he wants and um, and I think there's something alluring about that to, to the young punk. Can I just auto. ask a quick clarification? So uh, Miller, Tracy Walter, does he is he a repo man or does he like just work for helping hands and like burn the thing? <laughs> I don't 
Because I don't think we ever see him get in well, a car. He, doesn't he can't drive. drive. He can't drive. He can't burns drive. Stuff in buckets. That, that's I think does. that's what he just hangs out on the lot and burns stuff, and then and like collects <laughs> the, the air freshener. Maybe the oh, mechanic. Okay, okay, car. okay. I similarly um, was wondering what the rent a cop does. Does he just like in case there's trouble because people <laughs> well, are mad? He knits. He knits obviously. He's but, obviously bad at his job. The car gets stolen <laughs> from the lot. Listen. And he's so unintimidating. Like, no one, literally no one's intimidated no. by him. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? He's, he served, at, he's at a slaughterhouse? He served in two world he's wars. In two two wars. world wars in a slaughterhouse, yeah. <laughs> and a prison guard at Attica. And a prison so. guard for 10 years at Attica, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, it's very open with Miller. And I, my, what I like, and I, even with the commentary, it, it remains a little open watching Alex Cox. Um, you know, if he is like um, an alien or something or like a time traveler, because he keeps saying they're, they're time travelers. Yeah. Now, um, more likely, it's just his like innocence or purity that like allows him at the end to approach the car. And he's the one and he can he can do that. But I my, my original uh, interpretation was that he's like a time traveler mm. and he's a repo man, but like a cosmic repo man. So mm. he, he like is the one who ultimately gets the, the Malibu. Um, but he's from, if not another planet, he's from the future or something like that. <laughs> I wow. love it. Um, I don't, maybe that's just me, but, um, it seems, seems that's like amazing. a possibility. Um, it seems open-ended from what I heard on the commentary. I but, think that's really know. cool. Cause, cause if that's right, like the car contains, okay. First of all, it, it, is it, it, do they settle whether it does contain a new neutron bomb or whatever? I mean, in, in among the, the producers and director, it, it like went both ways. They, okay. they, they were going to have a nuke, like they have all, two alternate endings where it's both a nuke. But then, of course, they um, they added all the Roswell stuff. And I think they said it's like the first movie that that makes Roswell into a thing, like talks about Roswell as ooh, Roswell. And um, so they added the possibility that it's an alien um, kind of after the fact. So it's it, it remains um, uh, inconclusive at the end. But um, to me, it seems like it's an alien because they've been uh, building up the Roswell thing so much. I don't know. It's yeah, it's not. Uh, stated <laughs> but it's i love this idea that he's a cosmic repo man that like the alien yeah. has escaped and the alien is just needs to like pay his bills and yeah. they, they send in miller to like dick after him and take him back yeah. he's been posing as a janitor or mechanic or uh whatever at, at the repo yard but he's really just a repo because he actually says at the very very end the life of a repo man is always intense which is kind of a validation of bud repeating Bud's mm-hmm. line, mm-hmm. but it's also like he's referring to himself as a right. repo man. Anyway. Right. <laughs> Cosmic repo man. That's an incredible read. Can I, so it sounds like Toby, you've seen this quite a few times and it feels like you got a really good handle on it. Did the scientist, was he refer? he was just talking about how he gave himself a lobotomy or he's referring, <laughs> right? He's like, my know. friend I, had a lobotomy and he feels like Otto says something where he's like, okay, <laughs> I Tell me says, more about your friend. I think this is like, what kind of car did your friend? Did your friend have? have? Yeah, and it was the it same car. Yeah. It's the same car, and of course, before he dies, he's talking about the two hemispheres, of the brain mm. being right. fundamentally at odds. So maybe there's kind of an identity split there. Um, okay. Yeah, that is. Um, I, I hadn't thought about that, but maybe he did give himself. I don't know if he gave himself or he just got. Or he had you know, a lot of me, but I... easy to come by back then. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah. Um, but yeah, I like that. He's probably. Um, talking about himself certainly his friend yes you ever hear the neutron bomb destroys people leaves buildings standing fits in a suitcase so small no one knows it's there till blammo eyes melt skin explodes everybody dead 
so immoral working on a thing can drive you mad. That's what happened to this friend of mine. So he had a lobotomy. Now he's well again. What kind of car does your, does your friend drive? Chevy Malibu. This is really a nice old car. Why don't you let me drive? What do you mean? The other aspect of the tension in the in the punk ethos is yes, that I was just thinking, no, I was just thinking we don't need to we don't need to talk about this anymore. But I, I just remember one other thing, which is like <laughs> another aspect of that tension is that Otto wants like okay, he's he's pulled between the repo men and his mm-hmm. punk friends. The punk mm-hmm. friends are like live with outlaw. They don't have any code, right? They just like create anarchy and in right, they're like, let's go do crimes. And by that I mean get sushi and not pay for it. Like what <laughs> yeah. a great life. Um, oh yeah. And then and then but then Bud, he's like, you gotta have a code. And he g- goes into this whole <laughs> repo code. And he's like, he lives by his own like samurai code, basically. And again, Asimov I think Otto code. he feels this like pull between these two uh, you know, dimensions. Like, and I, I actually think, you know, far from being, I think, a cr- maybe criticism is too strong, I think it's in a way a commentary on the both the punk mentality but i think something even broader i think we all as human beings feel a kind of similar pull between chaos and like being able to just have unfettered freedom and law we want things to be sensible and to have rules and be predictable and that kind of thing and i think there is this fundamental tension there like always and you see it in like the the political spectrum right between authoritarianism and yeah. a libertarianism like the two poles that are at odds with one another you know it's it's always kind of coming out and I, anyway I, so i think it's really cool that he positions otto sort of in the center as this kind of mm-hmm. character who can i don't know he feels drawn to both sides but but he doesn't necessarily choose at the end of the day we, we want like structure and and like a code to like sort of give meaning and structure to our lives but we don't want the, the code to be like you have to put the cans perfectly this way sure. like yeah, you yeah, know yeah. like you want it's autonomy yeah. that's what he wants yeah. like he wants to be somewhat in control but not totally in control because that's way too scary yeah he doesn't want to he doesn't <laughs> want to be the punkers right he, he doesn't like he doesn't go and do those crimes with them He's not robbing liquor stores and stuff. Do crimes. Yeah. Yeah. And he finds that they're, they're not loyal. I mean, the, the very first scene, he's sort of like his girlfriend is, um, you know, hooks up with, uh, um, Duke, sorry, Duke. Right. right. So that's, um, transgression and allows for the, like the romantic subplot or whatever. But, um, and actually what you're saying, like, makes me think it's interesting that he, that Jay Parnell, the doc, the doctor guy says the thing about the two hemispheres because mm-hmm. 1984, they would have had this sort of belief it's kind of different now, I think, among neuroscientists, but like the, there was the right and left brain right. and the, the the right was like order law, sort of like um, giving, yeah, order to things. And the the left was uh, chaos. Or am I getting that? Creativity. Anyway, one, one of them yeah. was creativity, sort of un, unbounded creativity. And the other is uh, order and law. Right. It was interesting for me to read a little bit more about the production of this and like trying to like take their indie crazy punk rock movie and like f- make it work with a with the studio because they weren't expecting to like get stu- a studio to like 
support them. And mm. all of a sudden they have these executives here. They have the man who are like, no, you yeah. can't end your movie by nuking the whole world. Like, <laughs> sorry. You know, like he's, <laughs> it might've been like, he could have had total and creative freedom in one sense. On the other hand, like he had much more budget and access to like an amazing cinematographer and, you mm. know, a, pro- and a, you know, a production or a release, you know, that allowed for more people to see it, you know, but he had to kind of like toe that line as a result. But I think it helped the film. I mean, not to like knock Alex Cox because mm. he's, he's pretty cool, but um, it, you know, like I said, his other films are pretty all over the place. And this yeah. one um, really managed to work because he was, you know, fighting with those um, Apollonian sort of like figures all, all the way and just had to really stick to his guns, but also make concessions. And um as I, I think the ending is way better as they did it. I mean, I think it works for like his, his sort of arc and uh, you know, they were going to, they said, you can't do the nuke thing. You can, so maybe, maybe he'll go to South America and like sell the nuke <laughs> and Otto was going to become like a Central American, like rebel figure uh-huh. or something, which is pretty weird. But apparently Alex Cox was just into that at the, at the time. It's, it's like the mid eighties. So it was yeah. you know, very yeah. current thing. But I mean, the, the final scene, um, it really, he like kind of transcends these different forms that he's been testing out. And maybe he goes to onto another form as like a cosmic repo man or something, but um, whatever happens, it uh, I think it's um, a result of him. What Laura's saying, sort of like having to grapple with all these different production people. I think I, I, I totally agree, Toby, that I think that the, the, if this movie, if first of all, they knew Kelly, I think tonally it's off because then it seems like this is it's suddenly too violent and 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 you're so zany up until then and then yeah but again it could be done I mean the ending of Doctor Strangelove is the world is Mm -hmm. is completely destroyed and it doesn't you know undermine what happened prior Um, so Mm -hmm. in the right hands maybe it could be done but then the the Central America thing where he becomes like a savior I think my my (laughs) issue with that would be that. I think this film works best when it's Otto's film. And if it becomes, the ending becomes like Miller becomes some sort of messiah figure in Central America or whatever, then it, it's not no longer Otto's film at the end. And, mm. and it's not his journey. Whereas I think what's cool about the ending is that Otto's in the car with Miller, but it's open-ended. Where are they going? Yeah. Who knows? And I love that open-endedness because that's what you feel like when you're, 18 or 19 you just got out of high school he's obviously 21 what you're 21 (laughs) and you've gone on you know you've experimented what it says doesn't it (laughs) and then you yeah and then but but your whole life is ahead of you it's like that's the ending of course that's the ending the ending can't be like and then he lived happily ever after the rest of the story is yet to be told so i love that it just kind of ends with this Mm -hmm. kind of moment of potential moment of clarity perhaps for him and for Miller, maybe he gets to go back home, <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> but uh, but I love that. I, and so, what was the TV ending? How did oh, the TV? It's not an ending. Oh, okay. It's just that there's a TV version with. Um, there's actually a few uh, additional scenes as well, which are pretty good. Oh. Um, um, I, they're on YouTube, and there's like there's one additional scene with the parents when they go back, and um, the parents are covered in like cobwebs because they've just been sitting. They have <laughs> their, their couch, and they're watching the, the thing. <laughs> and they're smoking a joint and like got these giant cobwebs, which I think is, is very good. And um, there's some like interaction, like Otto's like, you should guys should really turn the TV off. And they're like, oh, okay. But then, <laughs> then they leave. And then there's another scene where um, they just go and Harry Dean Stanton like tries a payphone and it doesn't work. So he goes and grabs a sledgehammer and like demolishes the payphone, which is a very punk thing to do. So that's, that's strengthening the like punk thing. 
and I think there's a couple others, but the ending is the same, but they also change um, all the cuss words are, are these really funny sort of like um, uh, things like instead of motherfucker, they say melon farmer over <laughs> and over like, you know, frick you melon farmer. <laughs> and um, at the end, when, when uh, Layla's like, you know, what about a relationship? She's like, you shit. She's like, you, you nerd. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> little things like that but it, it adds to that like non sequitur kind of like absurdity um that's around the edges so a lot of people like that i've sort of seen it but um like i say my my wife grew up watching it and um a lot of people um you go on sort of the internet and they say i grew up i, I love that the 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 dubs in the tv version yeah and, um, that does that's like it's, it's it that makes sense it's a, a piece totally worse <laughs> it's funny my memory of like a, a silly overdubbed movie is also an emilio estevez movie breakfast mm. club that one had a yeah, tv right. run too and the mm. moment where anthony michael hall is like you think i don't ever understand pressure claire will flip you like just <laughs> doesn't really work <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but i did remember getting a little bit of a kick out of that too yeah and then when you see the original, the real one, you're like, wow, it's, it's something totally different. Um, yeah. Like, a different impact. I watched like, um, like I had Ferris Bueller on when I was a little kid mm -hmm. on VHS from TV and I watched over and over and over. And it was, so they're like missing scenes that I didn't tape and ones that they cut out and all these things. So then like in my twenties or thirties or something, I, I got around to watching the original and there's these new parts. It's like, oh my God, it's very, uh jarring yeah it, that <laughs> cool. is a, it is a jarring experience <laughs> that sort of happened to me with alanis morissette i was really into the alanis morissette songs that were popular when i was in third grade um when jag little pill came out and i was like i really want the cd but my dad did not think it was appropriate certain songs mm. so he edited it and put it on a cassette tape for me and i did not realize they were missing tracks until many years later <laughs> <laughs> sneaky <laughs> Do you want to talk more about Miller's strange wisdom? I don't know. I well, I, the, one of the things that I liked about Miller is, I mean, that scene where Miller is burning, a, um, I don't know what the fuck he's burning. He's burning a bunch of stuff. Sure. But actually, yeah. we should back up because my favorite scene in the film comes right before that scene. So Otto and um, Light mm -hmm. are in the car talking, and yeah. I don't. Uh, let me see. Do I have the line? Hold on. Um, <laughs> When I first heard it, I was like, I told Laura, I, I was like, at the end of that scene, I was like, did he say diuretics or dianetics? <laughs> I thought he said diuretics because if, it, if he did say diuretics, it's all good. That's an amazing joke. Next scene, the first shot is him holding the diuretics book and throwing, and it, throwing into the it into the fire. <laughs> that's like, that's one of the best. About that. That's such a good joke. That's really, really good. I feel like that's just classic humor with the edit, right? You, you tell the joke, it's almost too fast to catch. And then you show the book to, to just like hammer home the joke. Um, that is, oh my God, that's such a great joke. And then, and then you get this amazing scene with Miller where he's talking about, he's got one of my favorite lines. He's like, you know, the way everybody's into weirdness right now, books and all the supermarkets about muted triangles, UFOs, how the Mayans invented television, that kind of thing. <laughs> 
Stupidest line. That was a great line. I mean, there's just so many. You said non sequitur before, and I'm like, yeah, everything Miller says is non sequitur. He's just fucking random. It's just like a bunch of random stuff, and then he pulls it together because he reiterates stuff <laughs> that he's saying from before. But, you know, because he goes on about how the time machines are UFOs and where are the people going, and they're going in the past because they're being going via uh, UFOs. <laughs> I also love the line um, I don't want to know. I don't want to know how to drive. The more you drive, the less intelligent you are. <laughs> it's a great I don't line. Know where he's going with that, but it's a pretty good line. I mean, it's yeah. a great, it's a great. Well, because I, how did that come about? Was he like, he's like you, but you can't drive. He's like, yeah, I don't want to. Because he's talking about how he does his great best thinking on the bus. Oh yeah, he is. <laughs> Do my best together. <laughs> oh my god, what a that is an crazy character, and I don't know how he found Tracy Walter, but like that is like a perfect pairing of form and content. I forget, but I think it was the same sort of thing where he's like, we, we really should get that guy. Like Alex Cox had him in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I could be wrong. Maybe there was somebody else. Um, I mean, you mentioned the casting of like Harry Dean and, uh, and Tracy um, Miller, but I, I think all of the casting is great. I mean, even the minor characters for me in this is uh, totally quite good. I yep. mean, um, Emilio obviously worked out, but like Layla is great. Perfect. Um, the guy who plays Ollie the Rodriguez brothers, um, <laughs> Kevin. Kevin was origi- originally going to be Sean Penn. They actually had him. Or Chris do, Penn, like, right? Or Chris, Sean Penn, yeah. Chris Penn, you're right, of course. Um, and they had him do scenes, and it was just too like wacky and, and dumb. And they went with this guy who was unknown. And, of course, Xander Schloss ends up, he joined the Circle Jerks for uh, like a decade or something. That's so he, crazy. A legit... Uh, you know, member of the punk it scene. does feel like this movie like brought people together, right? Yeah. Like you have you have uh, Kevin joining, uh, or sorry, Xander Slosh joining Circle Jerks. You've got Harry Dean pairing with Robbie Mueller again. Like it just feels like it must have been. I mean, maybe there were ups and downs, but it feels like it must have been like a cool set to be on. Like I don't know. I mean, just those guys hanging out. You mentioned like all the Repo Men are named after beers. Yes, yeah. so it's Miller Bud Miller Light. Ollie. Ollie. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, but the, like just those guys hanging out, it, like that, that stuff is, that's like immediately, those are immediately rewatchable scenes. Like you, any one of those scenes, you could just the put haircut on at scene. any point. Just outside haircuts. Yeah, he's doing outside. That's right, yeah, yeah. Where they, well, that's when they bring him in because because he had said he got beat on by or somebody, and they're like, and so then they put him in a headlock, and they're like, tell us who it was, <laughs> and then yeah, they go they, off this thing about like uh, John Wayne was a queer, which is pretty dumb and you know like uh, homophobic and all that. But then there's that little line that all he says, he's like, you know, everybody everybody likes to watch their friends fuck. Or yeah, <laughs> I know I do, and they're like, what? And they just move on really quick. Yeah. But, um, a lot of lot going on in that scene but it's also like they have this weird like camaraderie that comes out i mean when they like when he pours the beer at the beginning they like they pull him in by you know they don't yell at him they're like you're all right yeah and he's like kind of you know with very little resistance joins them and then you know they they demand he tells them like uh, who beat him up and they go then yeah, so they can go posse and they go out and yeah yeah so they can go and like exact revenge <laughs> and then I mean, yeah. the next the cut is is nuts because they're just like you know he says it and then the hard cut to they're all driving with sunglasses on <laughs> and sheriff's hats yeah yeah <laughs> taking this too personal son the thing is repo man got beat up in the line of duty it doesn't matter that that man was you. 
What really matters is that the guy that did it has got to pay the price. Now stop being selfish and tell us his name. Come on! Ah! Ah! Ow, you bastard! All right! All right, all right, all right. Okay, his name was... Apparently, the actual the actual repo man who Alex Cox like um, you know drove around with for a while um, had a bunch of sheriff hats and like like they used to, so they're actual from an actual repo That's man ridiculous. flying around. Was that like, like part of his look- like part yeah. <laughs> part of his job? So like, if you know, so you got so he, they wouldn't ex- suspect he was stealing a car. They'd be like, oh, this guy knows. Yeah, just he's- just impersonate a cop. It's right, easy. right. <laughs> like it, like. Um, those the people who serve papers, right? Like that is another sort of one yeah. of those weird, like costumed, duplicitous jobs that you're like working for the man, right? Like whoever yeah. whoever managed to give Olivia Wilde her divorce papers, like on like a, on the <laughs> yeah. stage of a convention. Like it's a crazy Alice job. Pop should do a process server like sequel to <laughs> I mean, I guess they sort of do it in Pineapple, Pineapple Express, Express yeah, but it's yeah. not oh, right, the main right. it's not yeah. the main draw. But yeah. Yeah. Pretty good though. <laughs> yeah. That might I don't know, that might be like a shout out to Repo Man in some way. Yeah, maybe. The yeah. ending too of Pineapple Express, this were area fifty two right? Is that there, true? There's isn't there like um Are there aliens? I can't remember. Well, yeah. there's like a strange site that's like studying something for like for like ra- radiation but okay. also pot i don't know oh, right it's been a the, while. the guy from office space is the the pot uh like kingpin right yeah <laughs> yeah but the ending also makes me think of uhf if you've seen yeah. weird on like the alien flies up you know very end it's saves you- the day and then flies away is UHF before this or after this? It does feel oh, like there's sure, a sure, real sure. connection between this movie and UHF. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't check. Let me just... Yeah. Feel like oh, UHF is after. after. 1989. 89, yeah. okay. Huh. Might be an homage to... to Maybe. To it might be. I, I, I do feel like, yeah, this... That y- you're right. UHF is such a connection point for me because um, I definitely was a fan. I was a fan of UHF as a kid. My dad liked it. So that was a movie that I had kind of grown up with. And this one was not on my radar at all, but um, me too. Same vibe. It's just kind of like for like 14 year old boys or whatever, whereas yeah. this is like adult humor, but yeah, um, that same zaniness. Yeah. Do you guys have like a, a favorite tertiary level character? I'm just looking at these. We've yeah. been talking about how great everybody is. Is there like, Toby, home? who's your favorite? I, I like I say I like them all. Let me let me look at the pictures and think. Um, I mean, for me, it's I think beside Miller is like I think they gotta be the consensus pick. But but like maybe runner up for like a common hot on the heels is yeah. light. Light, yeah. okay. <laughs> light I, just, is great, I really yeah. like light. I, it's like he's just so, yeah. he's so like I don't know. He's just so much like. He's like weirdly like the opposite of of Bud, right? Yes, and, and oh that, totally. And I just Bud, think, I mean, like, Bud is yeah. obsessed with everybody paying their bills, yeah. And Light is like where <laughs> we are car thieves, like he's yeah. himself as a criminal, yeah. Like because Bud is also like I would never get killed over a car, and meanwhile Light has like has a gun filled with blanks. <laughs> 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 I don't know. I just think he's so brazen in everything that he does. Anyway, I think he's really funny. But what about yeah, you? Yeah, he's great. I, I love that scene when there's the like staggered cars, and they're like they meet, and they're like kind of like confabbing and they're kind of buddies but like um bud's saying like i'm gonna get that car and i'm gonna open my own yard and have other people do the work and he's like smoking the like tiny little like yeah. joint he's like you can't, you can't do that with two twenty grand it's like, it's 
<laughs> it's just a great like non-consequential uh scene cool sort of like visual i, I, I love that okay. all right so maybe i'd go with light as well uh, i like the rodriguez brothers i mean i thought i thought um <laughs> the older one is great with his you know we do not approve of drugs as he smokes a joint and just this, they're like, they're like seriousness. Yeah. I like, I love the fact that Marlene is a double agent. Again, that was for mm. the, the other ending, but I don't think it matters that it didn't pan out. I just love the fact that she like is also the like administrative assistant to this other repo company. And she yeah. wears like the, the rebel, like uh, army fatigues. And she's just like in, you know, in everything sort of like uh, around. I but, do uh, like that too because we were Laura. There was some. I we was confused. confused. I was. Yeah. My view was not yeah. that she was double agent, but that makes sense actually. My my initial view was just that she was, she was just hung out with both, and it wasn't like like, like Bud's the only like one who my, thinks they're mortal yeah, enemies. That was what I was thinking. Was like they're actually not mortal enemies, but Bud is just like fuck those guys. <laughs> and like they're all actually cool, um, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, they're enemies is until like one of them threatens a lawsuit, and then it's like oh okay. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> Pack it up. Yeah. I mean, they're like children, right? It's like kids on a playground and then like somebody yeah. goes and complains to their mom and they're just, then they're friends again. So anyway, I don't know. Um, but, but who was your favorite, Laura? Uh, well, I was thinking like truly tertiary characters. Um, I really enjoyed Susan Barnes as Agent Rogers. Uh, yeah. she's, she's got like an Anna Wintour bob, like a really like, yeah. you know, um, sculptured mm. blonde bob metal hand or sparkle glove it's, it's supposed to be metal it's supposed yeah. to be metal hands a sparkle glove i was like she got like a, a michael jackson glove on yeah. what's going on <laughs> and like <laughs> she's I, totally she's just like i mean you she comes in hot in the beginning when she's just like some people just explode it's fine <laughs> you know like that's normal um and uh, she tells him that he's good she's gonna torture him but it's not personal i just love her energy <laughs> anytime she's in a scene i mean that scene where she ends up at like the punk bar with layla and it's like the meeting of the worlds mm-hmm. um is really lovely i think every time she's on screen she's good and i like layla a lot <laughs> yeah i think layla's great she's great like, like great for the, the character Did she, you guys expect who she is like have you seen a picture of him no. You'll recognize him from a bunch of like films. Um, Miguel Sandoval. It's pretty funny because he's in like like Clear and Present Danger as like a drug king, kingpin and a bunch of stuff. I just think it's funny to to make the connection of who he is. Yeah. Um, so I was that was okay. Hold on, I'm looking him up right who now. Who are we looking at? I'm sorry, I missed uh, Miguel. Archie, Miguel Sandoval. He's he's oh. the punk who um the one who uh, d- does open the trunk and yes. gets vaporized. Um. But you'll totally recognize him when you see him as a middle-aged, like, current person. I can't remember. Like, so who is he in Jurassic Park? Oh, gosh. He's just somebody who gets eaten by a dinosaur. Okay. I mean, he's like... Um, Maybe one of the guys um, at the beginning? Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. I'm just looking through... Yeah, I mean, this dude's acted a lot. He's in a lot of I guess of I've a seen him in something recently, and it was, like, blew me away that that's who it was. Because it huh. so different. He's in Do the Right Thing. Right. He's in... I mean, this is wild. He's great. He, yeah, he's really funny, and uh, and Duke is funny too. Um, Dick Dick Rude as yeah. Duke. Uh, is that his real name? I haven't checked that out. I was actually going to. Um, again, he's the guy who um was supposed to be Otto. That's pretty punk rock. To be <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you see him now, he's got like really long flowing hair, and it looks kind of odd because he's got very like beady eyes. So mm. um, it looks very different. But he worked for. Uh, I mean, apparently they had him um. 
for like a year he was going to be auto so he was totally invested in it and then they got emilio estevez and he was like super disappointed but yeah. you know he got a pretty pretty big role anyways the other thing you mentioned toby in the document and i i don't know enough to say anything with any authority here so i want you to to go for it is to mention the pinchon and delillo connection yeah. I, didn't, I don't have anything profound, as I mentioned, but I, as I watched it even the first time, it just seems so much like Pinchon, like yeah. um, Crying of Lot 49 or Vineland or Inherent Vice. The things like the like the Renacop knitting with the sort of like um, everybody makes fun of them. It's really very Pinchon. Um, and all the like double, um, all the sort of like uh, the double agent, Marlene reminded me of Pinchon. Mm. Um, just the kind of parent, like L.A., paranoia um mm -hmm. uh, aliens it's just all very much like the pinch on i did a, a shallow dive like i googled it and there are people who made the connection i didn't read what they wrote but um there's a lot of um now time wise and i also mentioned delillo mm -hmm. because white noise one of my favorite novels came out like the year the same year or the year after mm -hmm. and um that's what i thought of in the very first scene with the generic like the drink and, and food labels because um in white noise they're like you know, the supermarket becomes the replacement for the church that, you know, in, in society. So they go to the supermarket and they're like, Ooh, look at all these products and things. And it, it, um, but it's also very funny. So that reminded me of the little, yeah. but probably more Pinchon. Um, and beyond that, I don't know exactly what to say. It's just, um, if anyone out there is a Pinchon fan and hasn't seen this movie, you should check it out. Check it out. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the little, the white noise thing, when, when I, when you mentioned that, I was like, yeah, white noise, that makes sense. I mean, also just this, the kind of random sci-fi element, right? In white noise, yeah. it's whatever. Is it like the white noise itself is like some sort of cloud? Unidentified. Yeah. The mass, uh, what is it called? Yeah, what was it called? <laughs> I unidentified <laughs> airborne. Anyway. There's like this <laughs> random airborne, airborne toxic of you the airborne, airborne toxic, toxic event. event. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Part one and part two is uh, Dilarama. <laughs> <laughs> for for Dilar, the, the uh, anyway. Um, also, the guys in the um, hazmat suits is very white yes. noise, obviously. Yeah, which I yeah. love. I love how they go around like mumbling, like narrating what they're doing. If you catch it, they're mm -hmm. like, "And now I'm setting this guy on fire." And blah, blah, blah. <laughs> they just have this like low-level mumbling that narrates whatever they're doing, which is another just weird weirdness that um, I think is great. But that also reminded me of White Noise. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, totally. There's some kind of absurdist, but grounded absurdism or something like that. Um, I'm trying to figure out what how I would describe it. But yeah, there's a connection for sure. Well, White Noise is also very uh, affectionate towards its characters. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's never um, like satires or makes it, it is satire, but it's it's never mean to them. It really, um, it, I, I think that's the strength of it is like this this really weird family but they're all kind of like there's this warmth in the family and um all the like the kind of secondary characters are um there's there's this sort of uh inherent effect affection that uh you see in alex cox as well i think that's so cool. that was yeah connection too are there any scenes that from from the film that we haven't sort of gone over that you want to make sure that we hit and laugh about i was thinking we when we were talking about miller and the fire and putting dire, uh, diuretics into the fire. Um, at the very end, the, I love when the the guy in the uh, hazmat suit catches <laughs> on fire. And he's like, ah! just this scream. And they're putting him out and they, they cut to the one agent. He's like, hey, God, I love this job, you know? 
<laughs> and like, I just love this job. And then it cuts to him again. And he's like, have you read diuretics? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like the last appearance of diuretics when all the spiritual stuff is coming to a head. Um, I thought that was great. And I, my favorite absolutely is the sequence in the middle with Harry Dean Stanton when they're driving around mm. and it includes the repo code though. What I really like is, um, like just the cuts, like, you know, that's why I don't know, no, no, a repo man, it doesn't take speed and they, you know, yeah. switch to that. <laughs> And then they're out in the the canal. They have like the perfunctory canal chase. And he's like, all right, Repo Man, you know, life of Repo Man is always intense. Let's get a drink. And then they go to the uh, store. And I love at the very end of the store of that that one, he's like totally messed up. And he's like rambling. And he's like, all right, take it easy, guy, to the, the um, cashier. And he's like, um, all right, have a good day. I mean, night, a day, night. What the shit does it matter? And it goes away. <laughs> And it's like kind of dubbed over, but I, that's probably one of my favorite moments is when he just mumbles like, what the shit does it matter? You know? <laughs> that's his life. See, an ordinary person spends his life avoiding tense situations. Repo man spends his life getting into tense situations. Let's go get a drink. Tense situations, kids get in five or six of them a day, don't mean shit anymore. I mean, I've seen men stabbed, didn't mean shit. Yeah, I've seen guns, guns too, they don't mean shit. But that's when you gotta watch yourself. Here, I'll handle it, pal. Try to settle down. <laughs> okay. Have a nice day. Night. Night, day, shit. So the only two corporate sponsors, they were actually like trying to get corporate sponsors. Oh, really? like, let's, let's go for it. And all they got was the 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 company that sells the little trees that hang off the river mirror nice. you know, that Miller talks about. That was an actual corporate wow. sponsor, which on the credits you see, they like mention them and then they have it in a few other places because they they shelled out some money. And also Ralph's supermarket was like, well, we'll give you um, we've got this warehouse full of expired food, generic foods. So that the generic food stuff is is wasn't planned. Mm. It's that they got Ralph's to to lend them all this like all these cans and I don't know what. And I don't know if they put, I'm sure they put like the drink label on, but they <laughs> yeah. like, they were kind of like parlaying some deal they got with Ralph. So right. Ralph's I think they, I had read, they only had to make the, the only props they had to make were the one, the food that he's, that looks like he's eating like dog food out of a can and the drink. And other than that, like oh, they were just Ralph. They're all real Ralph <laughs> oh, generic right. yeah. products. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Here. Yeah. Uh, An asshole gets killed for a car. Guys that make it are the guys that get in their cars at any time. Get in at 3 a.m., get up at 4. That's why there ain't a repo man I know that don't take speed. Speed, huh? <laughs> Jesus Christ. What if people liked Repo Man and they want to see another Repo Man type movie? Do you guys have thoughts on this? I don't know. This is a tough one. <sighs> I had two ideas, but they're more on the silly side. Okay, of like it, if like it. you like the zaniness. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, um, Better Off Dead, nineteen eighty five. Right, that's your the when one year later. Um, it's certainly not um as punk rock cr- social critique. Um, uh, it's more like. It was okay. We'll put it this way: If I watched Repo Man at fifteen and I didn't know what to make of it, but then I watched Better Off Dead and I mm-hmm. definitely was like, "This is my movie" because it's a rom com, but it has the like zany nineteen eighties element of it. There's like animated parts of it. There's claymation parts of it. There's um, it has John Cusack. He's like a he's been jilted. 
and he's you know trying to figure out he what to do with his life he wants to he ends up like he's a skier he gets in a big ski competition but there's all these strange elements like his mom is a terrible cook and at one point makes this like weird <laughs> gelatinous blue goo that's like gr- yeah crawling across Very, the table yeah. and she's like i put raisins in it <laughs> <laughs> there's like a deranged paper boy mm. uh you know two dollars <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly um so i loved that movie as a kid I and uh, I haven't revisited it in a while. I think it wouldn't like quite hold up to Repo Man. I don't know. I think it does, but, but it's a lot of fun, and it's also got that kind of cult classic aspect to it. Um, Here's one: uh, After Hours. Mm, yes, kind that's of that a good same one. Same sort of zany, yes, wandering around vibe, running into random characters, and. Um, getting in and out of punk clubs too, right? And the other one I had in mind was uh, Brazil. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Because in Brazil, uh, the character, it's again a satire of, you know, conformity, capitalist conformity and all that. But in there, in that one, the main character played by Jonathan Price meets up with Robert De Niro, who's this like bandit, right? And he like gives them the opportunity to like, you know, shows him that you can have this sort of other life almost. Mm. So he gets kind of caught up in this other... um, world of being a vigilante or whatever i I don't know a rebel or whatever um so anyway i yeah but there's really not anything and it's uh, both of those movies kind of similarly have weird tones um they're they're more tight and contained whereas this movie feels i don't know it feels like organic in a way it feels like it was just thrown together and it's like you're watching magic like somehow it works and you're just you're just like how is this this can't this should not work uh and yet it's it's so winning um good movie good movie toby thank you for suggesting thank it. you toby I'm so glad you liked it toby thank you so much for being here it was a pleasure having you and for those at home, we are at cows pod on twitter you can find us on the web at cowspod.wordpress.com And in two weeks, we are talking with Chris Kaiser, another Italian studies PhD student at Yale who we knew and all hung out with and um, who's now at Columbia. And we're going to be talking with Chris about the film. Sully. Sully. Sully Sullenberger, Clint Eastwood masterpiece. Masterpiece. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to be talking about Sully with Chris. See you guys then.